Hey guys, welcome to another episode of RevOps and ABM Alignment. Today we have a Slovenian who went to US, actually his family went to US, Mark Kosoglov, or how they would say in Slovenia, maybe Michal Kosoglov, <laughs> the jazz player <laughs> and um, CRO with tons of experience in sales at global level. So welcome to the show, Mark. I think I'm supposed to say Kupa K. Kupa K. That's in I, Slovenian. Hello. I think that's what my pop always used to tell me was how do you say hello? He'd always be like Kupa K. Maybe oh, and you need to do the, the A at the end, you know, like that's right. longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Jiveli, uh, as they say. In fact, never said this on a podcast. Please. My uh, grandfather, my pop, was a member of the Pittsburgh Polka Quartet, which was a world-renowned oh, polka wow. band. Uh, and he had his own album, which I have the record of here with him on the back. Pretty dope, right? Oh, sweet, sweet. Back in the days, jazz sounded different, I suppose. Um, <laughs> we can talk about jazz also. So, Mark, you did jazz, and then you went into what? Into sales, into marketing. Let's, let's uh, dive a little bit into your career. And the topic of today would be the difference between sales and CRO and because now sure. you are in a CRO role at Outreach.io and other companies, you were deep in sales, also the global level. So we can go a little bit into this whole SaaS world and understand a bit what the sales, at global sales level a leader, what you do and what's the difference with the CRO. So maybe tell us a bit about um, how you ended up in, in these roles from... Um, uh, sales, you know, let's, let's, let's start with the CRO role and what's different from what you did before. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, uh, at outreach, I was, uh, all about sales. I had the AEs, uh, when I started there, I had SDRs, AEs, SEs, but we quickly moved to, um, a place where I used, uh, my specialty, which was sales. And I ran the, the AE or globally at, at, a, at outreach, um, you know, at catalyst. And actually when I was leaving outreach, uh, one of my requirements was I needed to own the entire customer journey. I couldn't mm. anymore live in an environment where I only owned a slice of it and couldn't architect an entire customer journey that maximized value creation and revenue production from customers. So when I went to, uh, to Catalyst and all the companies that I interviewed with, I, I said, listen, you know, uh, what I want to do is I know I don't have a ton of experience doing success and support and some of those other functions, but I think that that's probably a, a benefit because I think a lot of those systems are broken. And when I was talking to a bunch of leaders um, and when I was taking the position and trying to figure out what was an area that I felt like could use a lot of innovation, um, uh, what kept coming up over and over again was post-sales. And it's a black box. People didn't really understand what post-sales does. The word strategic advisor is too ambiguous. You know, what most people were doing was like a glorified support or trainer role or a firefighter role. 
and everyone was trying to figure out like, how do we get this to be a more proactive revenue generating role? I thought I had some strong opinions about how that should work. And so the big difference uh, at Catalyst to outreach and some of my previous roles to that is, is I, I do own that post sales value creation role, um, which is kind of funny. My first sales leadership role, I had a lot of uh, post sales work. Uh, you know, I was responsible for renewals, for upsells, for cross sales, for uh, deployment. It was just in a non-digital product. And so for some reason, tech companies don't give me credit for that, even though I would argue that doing it with a hard coded, like a, you know, a hard product, a durable good is much more different than doing it with a, with a, a tech as much did more difficult to do than with a, a digital product, but that's just me. But uh, so that's what, that's the difference now is I, I'm, I'm making sure that my team uh, makes good on the promises that my uh, sales team makes in the sales cycle. Yeah. I would like to dive deeper into what you said now about the post sales, but, but before that, can you tell us a bit about um, catalyst.io and, just a bit about the ICP compared to Outreach.io. I just want to understand the sophistication of the ICP, um, the maturity levels. So I understand a bit um, how a sales motion goes because I have a feeling we don't need to explain much about Outreach.io. It's pretty much sales uh, like sales engagement platform. It's straightforward. So the ICP, it's... I suppose, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it's pretty broad, right? Um, so tell us a bit about um, how that whole sales motion changes at Catalyst. What is Catalyst compared to compared to what you guys did at Outreach? Yeah, I think that honestly, the conversation isn't a lot different uh, at, at mm. Outreach. Our conversation was, how do you maximize revenue? Uh, but that conversation was pre-sales. How do you use prospecting and uh, deal health and things like that to deliver your acquisition customer or that new customer to the business? Mm -hmm. uh, at Catalyst, it's still about how do you grow revenue, but the focus is on the right side of the bow tie, that post-sales okay. part. Like what happens after we sign them as a customer? And I see like right now in the market, there's a lot of headwinds around what's going on with top of funnel investment. I just read something that in the last three years, top of funnel marketing investment has gone down from 17% down to 11%. That's a major drop in ROI in that level of, of what you're trying to do to drive new acquisition. Uh, that plus, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, Discounting is up the highest in, it has been in the last five years. Our total economic condition is worse, uh, is measured by like we have the highest crime rates we've had in 25 years and people are more reluctant to buy. We see longer sales cycles uh, from Salesforce, 20% uh, longer in the last 12 months. I think that all of that signifies that um, maybe top of funnel isn't the place to look for growth right now. Maybe mm -hmm. it's in your customer base. And that's the conversations that we're having with revenue executives is, you know, 92% of the lifetime value of a customer happens post sale. So after you sign that first contract, 92%. Now that makes sense because if you sign a $100,000 customer and then they grow every year and renew for four or five years, you can easily see how that adds up to a lot more revenue than just the $100,000. 
But unfortunately, most revenue executives spend 90% of their time on acquisition-based problems. And I believe that that has been so optimized that at this point, there's just not much juice left in the squeeze, Romeo. Like there's just not much left there versus there's a whole pack of oranges uh, on the post-sale size that if you just give them a little squeeze, you get a whole pitcher of orange juice. So like, why are we spending so much time squeezing something that there's not much left in? I was saying this in, in other episodes, but I believe it's um, also, one is the economical um, situation we are in today, but also, let's be honest, the big guys, the, the market tech, they were teaching us um, to bring in those leads, right? Like from mm-hmm. ebooks and white papers and what's so not, right? So, because they were making their money from how many contacts you have, like look at HubSpot, right? Like if you look at the pricing model that they had before the marketing contacts, it was all about, uh, you know, bringing in more contacts. Doesn't matter if they convert or not, but bring in more and then you will convert them with lead nurturing. So that was the, let's say, narrative. And now when obviously the the new business uh, uh, pipelines and the whole sales funnel and everything that we have, it's 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 so hard to to convert those deals. Obviously, that we need to look at the right side of the bow tie, especially when you have. Um, SaaS because you have a lot of uh, insights, right, on on how your product are used. So, tell us a bit how you mark, um, how you guys do it, or what's what's the difference between, you know, in outreach where you can have SDRs, uh, uh, student grads jump on some calls, do sequences, do LinkedIn engagements um, versus going to your current customer, coming with insights, coming with use cases and um, actually um, bringing value through your products and upselling and cross-selling. So um, what what's the motion? What, what's the difference between the two? Um, I think you have to start with this fundamental understanding that there's two basic business models. Well, maybe more, but there's two major business models for software. One is the perpetual license model, which basically says we will sell you a license of software that you will own in perpetuity. And because you own it forever and there may not be upgrades, and this is like an older school mentality, like when you used to sell office on the DVD, there's this high upfront cost. And so the onus for value creation is on the buyer because they're putting a bunch of money in. They have to have this software for a long time and cost of switch is just too high. So Mm. they have to figure out how to get value. The SaaS business model says, low upfront cost, ease to switch, but we get this beautiful recurring revenue that happens over and over again. So over time, we get way more profitable and we can keep a customer. The SaaS business model is requires that you give recurring impact to your customers in order to keep and retain that recurring revenue. And that's the thing that I think 
is lost in most companies is they don't have a way to figure out how to do recurring impact. So you have to build a operational rhythm and an operational philosophy that aligns to recurring impact in order to create a natural conversation for expansion and retention that creates more revenue than the top of funnel acquisition stuff, which is actually a vestige of that perpetual software license. Find more customers, find more customers, sign more customers, get more leads, mm. do more, sign more, sign more, sign more. And so that's what they do. We've over-optimized that part of it because we have so much experience with it because of this legacy business model. In the SaaS business model though, we have under-optimized the post-sale side. And that's because we think that value creation is still on the customers. And what is the proof of that? The proof of that is how the typical onboarding goes. So Romeo, this is how mo what I see in most companies. There's this onboarding phase where you get everything implemented, you get everything built out, you know, nobody's in the platform, so there's no value. Then all of a sudden now we're ready to launch and we get users in and there's excitement and there's this training, there's this massive uptick in value. Mm. At the end of that process, what does everybody do? They breathe a sigh of relief. Oh my God, they're implemented. Let's let them run for a while and, and you know, they'll, they'll, find their way to value. And what happens is, is value plateaus. And we have this long period where value plateaus. And guess what people don't do when values plateaued? They don't buy more. They don't expand. Why? Because they're not increasing value. And then what happens over the, that annual contract is as we get towards the end of it, people get used to the software. Now we're battling to keep people users engaged because there's nothing new about it. There's nothing exciting about it. It just becomes part of their boring job that they don't like. So the value actually starts to wane as we go in for the renewal. And now we have the customer asking us, what have you done for me lately? And we can say nothing as software mm. providers because everything we did was at the beginning when we deployed. You don't get credit for that. Humans are hardwired to ignore value that happened way in the past. And the way I know that is because of a concept called variable ratio reinforcement schedule. V2RS okay. is a, is a, uh, a psych psychological thing that says, Romeo, you as a human will prefer small, infrequent, and unpredictable rewards for effort over large, predictable, and, infre and, and infrequent rewards. So, so basically pay, baby steps. Yeah. So if I give you little bits of value along the way, it, you actually uh, cumulatively, even if I don't give you as much value, you get more, you feel more rewarded for the, for the effort you put in than if I just give you one big bang of huge value once a year or during a QBR or whatever. It's like, it's, it's like, uh, I, um, know the the jazz band that I go to every week or every month in Krakow here because I go to a jazz uh, bar uh, and I appreciate them more and I think they are super talented versus when I go to some festival and I'm bombarded with a bunch of uh, jazz concerts. I right? think it's a great way to look at it. Yeah, you know, like you can listen to Spotify every day with your favorite jazz band or you could go to a concert once a year. And the Correct. concert is going to give you this huge emotional uplift. Yeah. But overall, you're going to feel less rewarded than you listen to those songs every day and you really get to know the intimacy of that band. Okay, so how do we do this, Mark? Like, okay, I, I, I get it. Like, we do the onboarding and then what? We do check-ins. We, nope. we are nope. monitoring uh, how they use their tools. You got to so rethink it. So use case, what do we do? 
So what you have to do is you have to start with why does a person buy? A person buys for the outcomes that they need to deliver because of a business initiative. Maybe a business is trying to reduce churn. Maybe they're trying to increase expansion. Maybe they're trying to, you know, uh, launch a new product. Uh, maybe they're trying to move people over to new pricing and packaging. But there's a business initiative that has an outcome that the business needs to continue its momentum and grow, right? That business initiative should map to a job to be done that your software provides. If the business initiative, like for example, moving people over in pricing, that's a job that doesn't match to, or that's a business initiative that doesn't really match to a, a job that we are good at. So that's yeah. how you qualify people out. So you match the business initiative to a job to be done. The job then has multiple solutions that your software provides. A solution is, is the bundling of features and functionality that does something that helps somebody do the job that they need to do to deliver the outcome of the business initiative. And then we take it one step further down is we create a moment of impact. A moment of impact is the experience that somebody has using the solution to do the job to get the outcome. And you say, Mark, like why? That like, seems like so small. Well, why do people buy? People buy an emotion and they justify with reason. So we're going to give them all these experiential, these emotional experiential moments throughout the life cycle. So what we're going to do is we're going to take one solution that maps to the most important uh, business initiative, not every solution, and we're going to onboard just on that. That's where we're going to start. And then what we're going to do is we're going to be like, hey, let's say that your uh, business initiative is to improve retention by 10 points. The jobs to be done to that maps to that is you have to be really good at at-risk or a proactive risk management. A solution would be a set of dashboards and playbooks that allows you to see when things go unhealthy or become risky, and then it sets off an automation. The moment mm. of impact is I walked in on Monday morning and saw three accounts went at risk and saw that we already had meetings booked on the calendar for those accounts because a playbook fired off automated fashion. And we, I now know that we're going to have executive alignment. That's an experience, right? So what we want to do mm. is we want to create multiple moments of impact for each solution. So we deploy a solution and we're like, we want you to have this experience. So we, we tailor them to that. And then we get them to acknowledge they got that value. Then we do another moment of impact. Then another moment of impact. What happens at each moment of impact though, Romeo, is we double check, is this churn initiative still your most important one? If it's not, we deploy a new solution and a new moment of impact that aligns to the most important one. Now I have 36 or 37 moments of impact inside all the solutions that my product provides. Mm -hmm. If I do one a month, I have three years of incremental recurring impact that I can give a customer that they're always getting something new. When they say, what has Catalyst done for me lately? We can point to the last four months and the four things that we've done for them. Now, not all of them are month long things. It might be a quarter or a few weeks, or it might be, you know, whatever. But like the idea is that my CSMs can now go to a customer and be like, what's your business initiative? Oh, we've deployed this solution. Here's two moments of impact you've already received. We got two other ones. Which one do you want? And we can constantly do those little stair steps because here's the secret. Software is an elephant. And how do you eat an elephant, Romeo? You chunk it down in small pieces. Right. One bite at a time. Now, first of all, yeah. don't eat elephants because it's illegal, but <laughs> eat them one bite at a time. And we are shoving the elephant of our software down our users' throats. So we think actually in onboarding, we're getting this level of value, but they're spitting out and regurgitating a bunch. They're actually only getting this much value. 
And that's where that delta of like, we thought we did all this. Why aren't you doing all that? It's because you shoved too much down their throat and it was impossible for them to chew and digest it. So that's why they're upset during the expansion phase. They're not getting the value that they thought they were going to get. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And um, that's something that um, I learned a lot from Winning by Design. They have this um, the impact, uh, moments yeah. that matter, what you said, the moments of impact. I like that word better. And then there is the critical events. Um, so these critical events in in Catalyst or where, where you um, worked, was it critical event of the company, meaning uh, funding, merchant acquisition, new roles, uh, or it was a critical event uh, related to your um onboarding or the experience that they have with you. I just want to understand a bit the difference between critical event and um, uh, the moments of, of impact or yeah, how, so, how, how do you see it? So first of all, Jocko, who's the founder of Winning by Design is a close personal friend and mm. I am borrowing a lot of their language here. So I want to make sure that they, they get credit for that. Yeah. Uh, so the critical event to me is always external. It's okay. always for the company. So funding, company yeah, for example. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. so, and so let's say I do a moment of impact and we do that, what we call a value sprint, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, Hey, we're going to do this little value sprint. It might take us a month, six weeks, two weeks, or whatever it is to achieve this moment of impact. This is what we're going to do. When we, when we're done, we're going to come back and tell you we did it and get you to acknowledge that it's happening. Right. Once we've done that, we're going to ask you for what's next. Now, when we ask you for what's next, that's when we say is the business initiative that we're currently serving reduce or increasing retention by 10 points. Is that actually still the business? Oh, you know what? Actually, now you need to create like 2X expansion pipeline. That's more important than retention now. All right, now we're going to switch into give you a solution in a moment of impact that aligns to that. Can That's you give me an example thing. of value sprint? Just Yeah, a just value do... sprint. So let's, let's take that example we used earlier of I walk in on Monday, I see three accounts go at risk and I want, and I, but I see that we have meetings booked for all of them because a the playbook automatically fired off. Mm. Right, a value sprint will be making sure that we have the solution tuned to do that. We have the playbook in place to do that. And then we're monitoring, is that actually happening? And when it happens, then we go report it back to the, mm. uh, to the business owner and be like, so yo, we have this tactics is what and playbooks inside of those sprints. Okay, yep. got and it. So that's where we would create the stuff that we need to create to create, make sure that moment of impact actually happens. But uh, my director of uh, our senior director of CS, uh, Rob Astrichik, says this a lot is creating the value is one thing, and that's mm. important, but actually it's sort of meaningless if they don't acknowledge the value. And so Obviously. the sprint <laughs> includes the acknowledgement of value, not just the creation of it. Okay, so the, this an acknowledgement, I suppose, it's highly uh, related to their jobs to be done and what is their impact, actually, right? I mean, if 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 it's not helping them and it's not going towards the impact, then obviously it's not uh, not acknowledged. That's exactly okay. right. Like, if, and you're off base. You're doing stuff they don't care about, and that's what's worse than that. You're doing work that nobody cares about. That sounds like the worst thing in the world. Okay, so now when we when we have the critical events, when you say what's next steps, it, how we deal with these critical events? Is it something that we find out from, I don't know, press releases or LinkedIn? Or is it something that we seek 
and we have a playbook on okay we need to really understand what's happening in the in the company like where these insights come from for the critical events i think they so again what we we have more conversations that matter because every executive wants to hear what have you done for me and what will you do for me next and what did i ask you to go do and did you actually do it like every executive mm. wants to know that so when we get in those conversations the point of the conversation is a couple one show them what we did two get them to acknowledge that the value actually happened three find out what we're supposed to do next and th and that aligns to what is the critical event or the business initiative that has changed and, and what we need to do with that. So that's th that conversation is where we do it. That's where we find out what that critical event is like, Oh, you just, you just went from retention being important to uh, expansion. Got it. Why is that? Okay. If we solve this for you and do this, is that going to be more valuable than continuing on the retention pipeline or progress? Yeah. All right, cool. Then we're going to switch over and align to what's important to you. I I have a feeling, Mark, that this is so important, but but still so underrated uh, compared to you know the whole spiel of uh, um, marketing and ABM and all the um, shiny um, you know top of funnel. Um, but in the same time, it requires you to have high competencies and really senior team members to to run this right so it's versus sdrs who are recent grads um without with with no experience and you can put them on outreach.io or sales loft whatever and then they can they can start engaging with uh, prospecting and engaging with uh, with customers on if you have some playbooks in in place so why do you think it's it's it was so underrated and uh, how do we flip it how do we make sure that um people understand that um the right side of the bow tie it's way way more important than the left side um i think that the reason that you need more experienced people there is because the processes are so ambiguous and horrible i think that when, yeah exactly so for me this is what my csms do we have a meeting every week with the CSM and their manager. They go through every single customer account every single week. And what they do is they start with the biggest one. And, and the question isn't what's going wrong here? Or what are we doing? It is what's the next step that you're using to create value? And so they say, okay, well, uh, this account, this is a business initiative. I have this solution deployed. This is the mo moment of impact that I'm working on. All right, when's your next meeting? All right, what are you going to do in that meeting? What are you going to accomplish? And what are you going to ask for next in that meeting? Mm. And so what you now, what you end up doing with that is, first of all, you create this repetition that burns a new neural pathway in the mind of the CSM about thinking about how to constantly create value creation according to the methodology that we have. And then the second thing that you do is that CSM leaves with a list of all of the stuff that they need to do that week. So they're super focused. And the last thing is, is we get to reinforce that methodology that shows like, this is how you do your job. So I think that you could train somebody out of college to follow that progression and understand what to do, just like you do with an SDR. The mm. problem is, is most CS orgs live on the backs of heroic efforts by really smart people that care a lot and work really hard. 
and this not like a process operationalized type of organization. They say they are, but I have very rarely seen one that actually is. They have playbooks, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean anybody's using them. Okay, so so on the left side, when we have the SDR, BDR, AE, what you're saying is that we have more playbooks, there are processes, and it's a more repeatable, and we have so many examples of companies who succeeded if they repeat the, the playbooks, right? And on the right side, we don't have that. Is it is it the right way, or do I understand it well? Yes, I think uh, the the right side of the bow tie, the post sales organizations have not had the right tooling and the right visibility to understand: uh, Are we doing the right things, and are they actually delivering the outcomes that they're supposed to? So, let me give a great example. Let's say that a an account goes at risk. There's a lot of tooling that will kick off a playbook automatically of what to go do. But the measure of that playbook's effectiveness is this very lagging complex system metric called churn. Oh, well, our churn is still going up, but this so this playbook's playbook must not work. Well, churn is a complicated, complex system. There's so many things that have to do with churn that you actually are incorrectly attributing the success of the playbook because the metric, because it so has so much little impact on the multivariable complex system of churn. Mm. So what we do instead is we allow you to take that playbook and uh, attach it to a leading metric that it is meant that we know that if that leading metric uh, is fixed, that it should have an effect on the lagging metric. Great example, logins. Like, mm. oh, logins are down 20%. We can run a, uh, a playbook that shows, uh, hey, how much did we increase logins in that time period and assign a goal of we want to increase logins 20% or whatever. And then we can see how long it takes. And then what I think is even better is we measure, is there a durable solution that we've created? Because for 30 days after the playbook's over, we look to see, is the metric still good or does it go back down again? And if it keeps going down after you've done the playbook, then the playbook works in the moment, but it's not a durable solution that works after it's over. So you don't really have the right solution. So I would tell you like that kind of data has never existed before on the right side of the bow tie in the post funnel mm -hmm. or post sales side of the funnel. So what ends up happening is the revolving door of playbooks and strategies of all right, guys, we're going to do this this quarter. All right, next quarter, we're changing this. Next quarter, we're changing this. And everybody's like wondering what the heck's going on. So guess what happens? Everybody just does their own thing and ignores whatever the initiative is because they know a new one's coming in, in 13 weeks. So might as well just ignore it and keep doing it. And then what you end up with is 30 CSMs doing things 30 different ways. Mm. And there's zero way to measure what works to do... Uh, organization-wide improvement because, and the data is meaningless because every, if everybody does everything a different way, there's no way to look at the data and determine it, like what's actually happening. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think now is the um, good time also with the school of uh, winning by design with the technology and also with the whole awareness that is uh, building up on the right side of the bow tie uh, the moment uh, where we need to look into it. Thanks a lot, Mark, for for this uh, short uh, discussion. It was great, great to know you. Tell us a bit 
how we can learn more about the right side of the bow tie. Uh, what are some podcasts that you guys are, um, or books that you guys are um, watching, reading, listening to that um, our audience could um, look into? Yeah, so uh, first of all, uh, there's a couple webinars where I get into this very uh, in a very detailed way with a bunch of slides, and I kind of show the visual stuff that might connect some dots for some people. So go to catalyst.io, look at our events and webinars. You should find a recording uh, on something called uh, uh, how to um, you can't plateau a value creation and still grow with customers. You, you have to, there's a there's a new approach you have to take, which is stair stepping. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. I, I do a bunch of stuff on LinkedIn. That's the best way usually to finally find me. And then, uh, honestly, like if you don't subscribe to winning by design on YouTube and you haven't like just gone through their recurring revenue operating model, uh, content or their CS operating model content, that's a great way to like drastically increase your business acumen on how business models need to be, uh, operationalized inside of a company in order to take advantage of what that business model is supposed to do. You know, you, the, the beauty of SaaS is recurring, recurring, uh, revenue, but you have to provide recurring impact to access recurring revenue. Otherwise you're just, you're fooling yourself and running a perpetual license business in a SaaS based model, which makes no sense. Yeah, and I, I think also this sales versus uh, CS, the one that you guys did with Pavilion, it's a really good uh, ebook to to look into to see the differences uh, of the left and right. Cool. Great, thanks a lot, Mark, and um, keep in touch. See you on LinkedIn. See you, man. Take care. Bye bye.